In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Welcome to the Man Card Podcast and our mission to build an army of men in the arena who are becoming the best version of themselves in changing their world. Males are born. Men are made. We're going to separate the men from the boys. A man is as a man does. We want to help you to become the best version of you. Theodore Roosevelt spoke about this rare breed saying, the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. That's awesome. The man card belongs to those protecting integrity, fighting apathy, pursuing God passionately, leading courageously, and finishing strong. A man is as a man does. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we we salute salute you. you. Guys, we honor you today for grinding it out in the stress bubble of life, a.k.a. the arena. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Man Card Podcast. This is a place where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to manhood. Our goal, as you know, for every episode is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless, male-dominated bleachers, and call you up to the best version of yourself because when a man gets it, everyone wins. As you know, I'm here with my brother from another mother, Dale Culver. How you doing, my man? I'm doing better than you. <laughs> I had a rough night in an airport. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he got frisked, too. Uh, I did not get frisked. It didn't come to a cavity search. So, no. Man, I was thinking about this today. I'm super excited about our episode today, and I thought about this. What if you discovered, Dale, that you had a sickness that took years for doctors to figure out? And over time, you lost the use of essentially your entire body, and it forced you to live life in a wheelchair, being in a, lot, in a lot of ways cared for by people that are close to you. How would you respond? Would you climb out of the arena and give up? What would you do? How about this, Dale? What if I were that guy, I, you know, best buddies? What if that was me? Would you cut and run? Would you continue to take care of me? Would you sh- give me? A, would you shower me if I need a shower? Would you clean me if I needed cleaning? Would you push me? Would you take me? Would you help me and include me? This is a phenomenal story, guys, of two brothers. So am I supposed to answer best- that? Or no, because just- I'm afraid it would ruin our that, relationship. That's all hypothetical. Yeah, because I'm reading the book going, man, I wish Dale was like this. <laughs> I, Dale's well, a horrible person. I would horrible have to friend. say, since you asked me the question... <laughs> You nobody really knows. I'm afraid of the answer, Dale. Nobody really knows until they're put into a situation. You can say all kinds of things, but you find out more about people when they're put under the fire. And so I would want to think that I would do certain things, um, but uh, I don't know. 
it just depends on your attitude. I mean, if you had a good attitude, I'm yeah. there to serve. But if you have a like crappy attitude, suck it, bro. Well, whoa, dude. <laughs> well, this this story is not even about that to me. This story is about friendship. It's about what it means to be a true friend. And I think right. these guys really have a phenomenal story. I think there's a deep longing in every man to have that one friend. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of us are relationally a little bankrupt or a little slow sometimes, and we don't connect on that deeper level. And Unless you're me. And these two guys have really, except for you, these two guys have really done that. So are you going to have a man word for today? I do. I'm going to guess it. Okay. The word is friendship. Oh, come on. Come on, am I right? <laughs> Here, look at the book. Look, there's push? The Did yeah. you pick push? push. You're because, so generic. Because I like salt and pepper. Oh, God. Push it. <laughs> Real good. Don't. That takes just... me back to a bad time in my life. <laughs> that is uh, just, don't do that. Justin and Patrick liked it, so. No, they're not laughing at all. Yeah, they are. They're, they're totally not laughing. laughing. Patrick, stop it. <laughs> so why push? Why would you say that's our man word for today, besides the title of this book? When you get into the struggles of life, you just got to push through, baby. You just got to push through. And You know, that's interesting <laughs> that you say that, because that is partially true, but when I read this book, that's not the whole story. Yeah. But I'm just going with, hey, push through, man. Suck it yeah. up, push through. Yeah, yeah. I, I hear you on that. Sometimes, well, what is, there's a saying out there, whiners want to feel good before they do it. Winners do it first and feel good about it later. So That's right. Hey, I want to warn our listeners, uh, we got some super exciting stuff coming in the new year. We are doing some things right now that will help our men in the arena to connect not only with our resources, the things we offer men, but will help you to find things and to step into your best version. We're really excited about where we're heading, and so 2019 will probably be our best year yet. I also want to let you guys know that, oh, Patrick, you and Justin, you guys might want to think about this. June 22nd and 23rd, we're doing our second annual Oregon Death Ruck. You can find it on Facebook at Oregon Death Ruck, and we are going to go 42 miles, 7,500 feet of gain through the uh, timbered Oregon coast. It's going to be a great – we're actually hiking to and through – Timbuktu. So it's going to be a great thing, guys. If you want to challenge yourself to do something really tough and come out on their side, you might want to think about this. Uh, go check that out on our Facebook page. We want to invite you to come in. We're inviting the women to come on this event, too. So if you've got a wife or a, or whatever, uh, bring her on, and uh, we'd have a great time. It's going to be really fun. And we had a great time that, last year. I saw that you mentioned that, so I actually went to Facebook, and that's what it's under, Oregon I know, Death Ruck. exactly what I said. Go to Facebook, Go figure. Oregon Death Ruck. Check it out. Hey, I want to brag about today's guest. we got some great guys on the podcast. I really enjoyed their book called I'll Push You, a journey of 500 miles. Hold on. Two best friends and one wheelchair. This book, uh, I'll tell you what, I was crying a lot. It was almost like watching a Hallmark movie. I was like just crying. Not that I watch Hallmark movies. But I, I, I was really, we should really impacted by this book. And so Justin Skizik and Patrick Gray, how are you guys doing? And we're good. Thanks for having us on. Hey, man, we're super well, excited. Man. And you guys are in separate locations, both around the Boise, Idaho area, correct? Yes. All right. We are in our respective offices in our homes. Sweet. I love it. We're about two miles apart. <laughs> oh, you're pretty <laughs> close. So you're actually in Eagle or are you in Boise? Both in Eagle. Okay, okay. Well, hey, I want to just read your kind of your short bios pretty quick. And since they're very similar, I'm just going to kind of lump them up here. So you're both 43 years old. You're born in the same born in the same hospital, a week apart. 36 hours. 36 hours apart. Oh, been friends since birth for sure. You've both you co-authored the book. I'll push you a journey of 500 miles, two best friends in one wheelchair. Uh, you both actually, when we asked you what your passion and mission in life, you both said the same thing. To open people's eyes to the beauty that exists all around us, your goal is for people to understand their greatest gift that they can give others 
is to love them in spite of who they are. And the greatest gift we can receive from others is to accept the same kind of love. You both have been married to this separate women, but you both are in your only marriages. Uh, Patrick to Donna for 21 years, Justin for Kirsten for 18 years, and you both have three children. And are, um, I don't think, are they the same names? Do they have the same name for the kids? Seems like you guys are like, <laughs> no. okay, okay. And I notice your wives do look different. They aren't twins. And so, uh, but uh, it's great to have you guys on the show. That would be weird if we were married to twins, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, I interviewed a guy. There's a group called Born and Raised Outdoors, and they're out of Myrtle Creek, Oregon. And they're, these two best friends are married to twins. And so I asked the one, his name's Trent Fisher. I said, hey, Trent, which one's married to the prettiest? <laughs> so, he said his was, but I don't know if his buddy Cody would, would agree. So, hey, guys, what we're going to do is we're going to get the juices flown here, and we're going to throw you right into what we call our rapid fire round. And so what we're going to do here is I'm going to use a word in a sentence. I'm going to just give you a word and ask you to use it in a sentence. So I've got three words for you, Patrick, three words for you, Justin, okay? And right. these words are words I pulled out of the book that are somehow connected oh. to the book. So I want our readers to kind of get used to it. So, okay, Patrick, here we go. You ready? Just sure. use this word in a sentence. First thing, it's like your gut level reaction here. Friendship. Oh, I'm scared. I'm scared. Friendship. Friendship. Yep. Uh, one of the most important things you need to make it through life. All right. Awesome. Patrick or Justin, here we go. Challenges. Something you need in order to make it through life. <laughs> <laughs> so is it so a friendship and a challenge are the same thing <laughs> it can be. yeah no, that, that is true they often are. yeah no that's really good man i really appreciate that okay i apologize for this one but i had to put it in there patrick the word is push push oh man the first thing i think of is what we all need to uh to overcome the challenges we face uh we, we got either push people or be pushed if we oh. don't accept that, we're sunk. We either push or we are pushed. And sometimes we could be pushing this person and being pushed by this one. Or sometimes yeah. we might be pushing a person and their acceptance of that gift turns around and moves us forward. Yeah, that's really good. And I hope we hear more about that later on in the podcast yeah. today. So, so Justin, here's your word, man. Risk. Um, a... Risk for me is a um, a door that opens your mind to something you never thought you could do. Oh, man. That's good, dude. A door that opens your mind to something you never thought you could do. That is really cool because that works counter exactly counter to the word safety, right? And which in the book, I think, uh, Patrick, you define safety as having control. What was the, your definition of safety? I have it written down uh, somewhere. Yeah, for, for a long time, my idea of safety, it was really a, it was, it was a perverted sense of safety, but it was, it was control. Things that I could control felt safe. Yeah, you said, you said um, uh, safety means not allowing outside forces to influence me. Yeah. Where risk is doing just the opposite. Right. Oh, man, that's so good. That's so rich. I appreciate that. Okay, Patrick, here oh oh I just ruined your word. So your word is safety. Sorry. I was wondering. I should have oh, I should man. have looked further. Oh there's there's a lot of layers to that one. Uh and yeah. I, I'm sure we'll get into it later. But the first thing I think of when you say safety is uh something that I don't want to um pursue. Oh because safety so often leads to complacency. 
No, that's and fantastic. I don't like being complacent. I just did a Bible study uh, for a book I'm writing, and the Bible study was a, the title was called is is the strenuous life, and it's out of Teddy Roosevelt's speech, and so the Bible study argues that men are not made for comfort and ease, but strain and pressure, and so mm-hmm. it's it's this whole safety, we love safety yeah. in America, and that's just not, it's really not biblical, not at all. But no. but we make it that yeah. way, and so uh, if well, this, yeah. Well, are you are you guys fans of a C.S. Lewis at all? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So, in the very last book of his series, you know, uh, the the last battle, the question is asked about, you know, Aslan. I think it's in the last book. They ask, is is he safe? Right. And his response is, he's a lot of things, but he's anything but safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's good, mm-hmm. but he's, good. he's not safe. He's not safe. God is good, but God is not safe. Yeah. In fact, yeah. you could argue the opposite, right? Yeah. That's really good, man. So, Justin, your word here is the word freedom. Jeez, man. Um, <laughs> you know, it's going to sound completely counterintuitive, but freedom to me is the art of letting go. Oh, wow. Wow. And I, that you, something similar was in your book, and that's what really impacted yeah. me about freedom, was the freedom that you had where Patrick was struggling with freedom. And through, right. throughout this thing. And so we're going to get more into that. But uh, So, hey, let's jump into this, guys, because when I read your book, I thought of Jonathan and David. I thought you guys had this friendship. Oh, by the way, a friend of mine, one of our, uh, the guy who runs our Men in the Arena page is a guy named Sean Strong. He mm-hmm. said he grew yes. up with you guys in Ontario. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so he says to say hi. So why don't, right. you, why don't you guys, yeah, I just thought that was funny. So you talk about Ryan. One of your brothers is Ryan. Brother. And I somehow Sean's Sean was connected to him, or I don't know what the deal was, but I thought that was small yeah. world, man. So tell us about your childhood and and how that how you guys interacted together and and the evolution of your friendship. Uh, yeah, I, I'll start with that. This is Justin speaking. Um, you know, Patrick and I. I mean, there hasn't been a day where we haven't known each other. I mean, like you said at the outset of our time together, you know, we're born 36 hours apart. Our moms were have known each other since the fourth grade. Call our parents went to college together. Uh, when we we're and we were actually when we we're figuring out our when we we're kind of diving into it a little bit more when we we're writing our book that we found out that my great uncle was best man in Patrick's grandfather's wedding. Like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kind of weird. We had no idea, you know, but, you know, so, you know, growing up, I mean, we grew up, we went to different elementary schools, uh, same middle school or junior high. We went to actually technically junior high together and then high school together. But, you know, we just, we always hung out together at church and doing, um, you know, activities together and kind of growing up together. And just, we, we had overlapping circle of friends but we've always been friends as far as we can remember um and so as life kind of went on for us you know patrick convinced me to play football in high school one year and i was like (laughs) like the worst player on the team um you know things you do for your friends but you know we had we just had a lot of fun together. I mean, skateboarding. We had skateboarding in the '80s, kind of Tony Hawk era. Oh yeah. Uh, we had wannabe skateboarders. Horrible. We're talking about like 
the worst skateboarders, I think, in the history of skateboarding. <laughs> we thought we were awesome, though. We thought we were awesome, but yeah, not. Um, so anyway. You guys could throw um, a mean snowball, though. We yes, can. We can. <laughs> <laughs> you guys got to read about that in the book. Oh, it's one of my that favorite was, stories. That was, a, favorite. Yeah, that was a fun story to write. That was a fun story to yeah. write. You know, we weren't funny, aiming uh, at the backboard. We were aiming at your garage yeah. door. <laughs> I'm going to take a little segue here real quick to give you more insight into uh, Mr. Smith, who, uh, whose house that was. He was my math teacher growing yeah. up. And uh, I was pretty adept at math, so I always finished up in class. And we had those sloped desks that sit in front of you. I'm so sitting at my desk, and I'm bored, and I take my pencil, and they're hexagon shapes. So I sit at the top, and it rolls down, and I catch it. Set it back up, rolls down, and I catch it. Mr. Smith comes over and says, Patrick, I'd appreciate it if you'd stop that. Sorry, Mr. Smith. He walks away. I put it back at the top of the desk. It rolls down. I catch it. He comes over, snaps my pencil in half, and hands it back to me. <laughs> so as he walks away, I put him on the desk at different times. <laughs> I was kicked out of class that day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he had the snowballs coming. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Oh gosh, that's so funny. So so um so at what point in your journey did you guys realize, man, we are best friends? So I mean, because I'm, I'm I know that you oh, guys man. grew up together, but at what point do you realize this guy's this guy's my best friend? You know, I'm not sure we've ever been asked that question before at an actual point in time because it's such an evolution. It's kind of like faith, you know, that yeah. this, these things happen and you start to have all these experiences that you share and and you just wind up on this journey together. I'm not sure I can give a specific point in time, but uh, I mean, from as long as I can remember, Justin and I were constantly just growing closer together. Yeah. Uh, just because of interests, music's, uh, musical interests, the, the friends we had. And mm-hmm. just the sense of humor is a big one for us. I mean, we've got a pretty whacked out sense of humor. Yeah, we're yeah. pretty, we're idiots. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that sense of humor has only gotten worse over the years. But uh, I think that what I would point to is when Justin's disease started to develop, there was, that was a turning point for us where mm-hmm. it could have been a, a, a point in time that divided us for yeah. whatever reason. Yeah. Because I could have said, Man, this is too hard. Justin could have said, "I, you know, I, I, I don't know." I mean, there's a lot, a lot of questions that come up when you have an illness that is going to completely change the trajectory of your life. But we both chose to pursue each other, no matter what. Whether we were a thousand miles apart in college didn't matter. We were going to make a concerted effort to have time together, and I think really that we made the best friendship possible because yeah, it took work. It took work. It took work. It wasn't this natural thing and we get asked that a lot like you know how do we have what you guys have and we've taken certain things for granted over the years but as we look back we took whatever we had as a shared interest whatever shared adventures that we you know participated in and big and small you know going camping on a weekend kind of stuff whatever it might be and we just made those things the focal point of our relationships so new things could flourish yeah that's that's really good well I, i love the pursuing thing in your book you said i think it was page 176 you, you used a phrase I thought was really interesting. You don't hear guys use this phrase a lot, but you use this in the context of pursuing each other in relationship, of hearing each other's story, and you both talked openly about having some uh, pornography issues. And I love the phrase, and I think this is a great phrase for guys to use. I'm sorry, man, 
but I don't think you're telling me the whole story right now. Mm. And you you talked about that in the context of pursuing the relationship. Can you walk us through that? Yeah, well, I will say that that was actually edited by our, our publisher. <laughs> uh, because let's just say that... Uh, it was more calling me on my BS at that point, you know. I understand. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. A little more I mean, frank, I guess, that we're A little more frank, yeah. yeah. I get and, it. And that's the thing is that we've cultivated over the years is a frankness with one another, an open honesty that when you pursue time and energy together, we pursue life together. And really, if you are willing to be, and this is going to make a lot of guys probably weird out when they hear this, but would you really be intimate with one another? And I mean that in the true form of the word, which means to completely know one another. It doesn't mean anything sexual. It means yeah. to know completely. That's all intimate means. When you embrace that mentality in a friendship with another man, like you start sharing the darkness, the fears, the failures, all the things that completely wreck you on the inside of your brain and you get them out there and suddenly they don't have as much power. But with that kind of trust that I give to Justin, like I trust you with all this stuff, that gives him permission to call BS and it allows us to pursue so much more together because there's not a veil up hiding certain things. Does that make sense? Oh, it totally makes sense. I mean, a lot of people say I hate the word accountability. Mm-hmm. And to me, I was just sharing this with a young man who, who confessed an Oxycontin addiction the other night to me. And he said, I just want you to know because I, I want somebody to ask me about it. And I said, you know, I can't make you accountable to me. But what I can do is I can be there so you can share openly and honestly with me. And when you bring something into the light, you get freedom that n- others don't have. So that's what I'm right. saying here and there. So that's, yeah. I just, and your relationship is like, it's, it's really impressive. It's, it doesn't happen every day with men, you know? And, and so it, it just, and you, you use that word intimate and I, I guess a guy could think that way, but when he looks a picture of both your wives, you both are married to gorgeous gals and uh, they obviously would know there's nothing weird going on with you two. You just have this real unique relationship, right? Dale goes, wow, Justin's wife is really pretty. I'm like, I know. <laughs> Those Nazarene girls, you know what I mean? Cute Nazarene <laughs> girls. I married one. I was Nazarene. Oh, no? Okay, okay. Hey, so so let, me, let, me, let, me, let me ask you this question, guys. What one word would you each use to describe the book, I'll Push You? What's the one word that you would say this book is about? One word? One word. Jeez, dude. Man, you were throwing some tough ones out there today. I'm not as dumb as I look. Uh, No, you were not. Um, (laughs) Nobody can be that dumb. (laughs) I think for me, I mean, I'm just trying to go with my gut reaction here, Uh is is the same topic of what we've just been talking about, is intentional, intentionality. Wow, okay. And, you know, what I'd like to kind of add to that is... um, when I'm intentional with Patrick and he's intentional with me, I know that he has my best interests in mind. Mm-hmm. So it allows me to pursue him because I know that when I do, um, he's he does have that freedom to call BS on me, but he also has my best interest. He wants me to be a better man. He wants me to be a better husband, a better father, um, to – coach and guide me through the struggles that I have and you know and and I try to do the best that I can for him when he comes and so that intentional is it really boils down to just being action oriented I mm-hmm. mean the whole book is and our relationship has been action we've taken action with one another we've took action together 
on this pilgrimage to be a part of it and not knowing how we're going to come out on the other end of it. Um, but I knew that my best friend was going to be with me and we're going to try to do it together. Hell of high water. So wow. that's just kind of what comes to mind. Which I, when I hear the word action and intentionality, I also hear you saying under, under scoring with pursuit. Mm-hmm. Right. So Patrick, yeah. how about you, man? What's the book about? One word. One word. Well, it's, it's hard to not go with pursuit, but uh, what I'm going to, I'm going to switch a little bit here. Cause I, I was actually at lunch a few days ago with a, a guy who's a mentor of mine and he had given the book to one of his best friends. And uh, what yeah, I asked him what his best friend thought, he said, well, he said, he told me that, that it was revolutionary. Whoa. And I thought, okay, tell me about that. And uh, he said that he felt that it was revolutionary from the sense that it opened his eyes to a completely new way to live his life. And that's humbling to hear from somebody, you know, somebody say that about, about your story that you, we just opened up and share with people. But, but I think about what I went through in that, in that whole journey, what I'm still going through is that it was revolutionary. There was a lot of experiences that pointed me to a completely new way to live my life as a husband, as a father, as a friend, as a follower of Christ. And uh, you said it earlier, you know, that, that phrase that, you know, when we were talking about what we want people to, to experience in the world, what, what we want our, our stamp, if you will, to be on the world and for people to, to love others in spite of who they are and mm. to allow people to love them in spite of who they are. That's a revolutionary concept, especially in our culture right now. Yeah, for sure. I know, uh, yeah. But if we can grab onto that, man, watch out. You're going to have a bunch of people that are going to take the world by storm through compassion, grace, mercy, and love. Yeah, you know, we've been talking to our men a lot in the last couple months through this podcast about marriage Mm -hmm. and discovering our wife's brokenness and loving her through her brokenness, loving her through that. And I think you could say the same for a friendship, right? What is my brokenness and how can you love me through it? And and that's what I'm hearing you saying. That's the revolutionary part about friendships, right? Because for guys, I think we are really attracted to adventure and purpose but when we transcend that, that's when that true friendship takes off. And we start saying, okay, I see your brokenness, whether it be a porn addiction or a father wound or a physical condition or an attitude, and I want to love you through that as your friend, as your brother. I want to lock arms with you through that. You come out yeah. on the other side with something much deeper and richer. Yeah. That's that's powerful, guys. So, hey, I want our, our guys are probably going, what's this book about, dude? Come on now. You're wasting the podcast. So, Justin, I want to stop and ask you this question, Justin. Can you tell us about your mama? So, by mama, I mean multifocal, acquired motor, axionopathy. Axionopathy. <laughs> axionopathy. So, so this is, in your book, that is similar to uh, ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, but it is different. Can you tell us a little bit about this disease, just to give our guys a, a, just kind of a, a picture of what you're battling right now? Yeah, so um, the disease that I have is is progressive it was triggered by a car accident i was in when i was just about 16 um i the dorm the disease was um dormant in my body i didn't know that i even had it i just i'm genetically predispositioned to having it due to my um my parents genetic makeup and so um it's it's very 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 similar to ls meaning that it my autoimmune system attacks my nervous system and then my nervous system shuts down. So um, what that means is the, the nerves just don't trigger my muscles the way that they should. And, um, 
And what it does is it causes atrophy and the muscles just don't work anymore. And once they're gone, they're gone. So it works very, very similar to ALS. ALS is almost identical. I was actually diagnosed with ALS when I was about 21, yeah. uh, 20, 21 years old. Um, but the, and the outcome is pretty much the same. It is a terminal um, diagnosis and I most likely will be pass away due to the disease that I have. Um, I don't actually, technically I don't pass away from the disease. I pass away most likely from complications like pneumonia, breathing issues, things like that. Yeah. Now will it affect um, so it's not a really, go ahead. Yeah. Will it affect it affects, your facial motor skills eventually? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I won't be able to talk anymore. Um, eventually I won't be able to breathe on my own and throat. Um, so right now, to give your listeners uh, uh, a, a picture, you know, I have, I can't walk anymore. So I'm in a power wheelchair. I use that every day of my life. Uh, I have maybe 10% of my arm usage, if less than that. Um, so I can function to a certain degree, but I can't feed myself. I can't get my clothes on. I can't um, do any of that. Um, I have to be helped in pretty much every aspect of life. So um, I'm able to have navigate a computer using my voice and uh, a pen and tablet, but, you know, use of technology, but I'm pretty much dependent upon everybody else. And it, it's, uh, it makes life challenging for sure. And it, uh, it's, it's, it's been a very, very long and difficult road. And I don't know what the outcome or how much life I have left in me, mm -hmm. but I definitely going to use it for the best of my ability. And, and what's crazy is that my wife knew full well what she was getting into when she married me. Um, and she knew that, you know, whether if it was going to be four years or 20 years, whatever that would be, she would, you know, she was going to be there. And, you know, that's, um, it's very humbling and, um, and it's, it's a very pride swallowing disease mm. that I have because it literally sucks everything out of me from the things that typical men do, like mowing the yards and fixing stuff in the house and teaching your kids how to throw a baseball or a football or, you know, to hold your wife's hand as you're walking down the beach mm. or anything like that. And I, I can't do any of that. So, um, my relationship, my marriage, my marriage is a unique situation. My relationship with my friends is unique. You know, Patrick is what I call the vice president of my inner circle. You know, he's comes in and he does stuff for me that most, that most friends don't do. I mean, he helps when we travel and speak around the country. Uh, he gets me up, he showers me, helps me get in the bathroom, wipes my backside, you know, helps me pee like, like very, very, <laughs> personal space yeah uh, totally stuff and but he does it with such grace and such um um willingness to just step in and just get it done like he doesn't he doesn't ever complain about it we always laugh about it a lot you have a lot of <laughs> especially in the early early days you know now it's more routine but um on the early days it was like all right here we are yeah i mean here you are wiping my backside for the first time you know it's like it's very, very humbling to have that done, but yet, you know, you kind of, that's where our humor kind of plays into it is uh, you don't laugh it off, but we laugh through it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And I, I loved your forthrightness with your now wife on your first, I think it was a first date when you told her right up front, here's where I am. And she just, man, what a champion. And, and I think the first time, I think it was on the Camino when Patrick, you uh, gave Justin a bath and you had that awkward moment <laughs> and, and just worked through it. So I love that. And I don't want to focus on the, the disease because that's really not the focus of the book, in my opinion. So I, and so Justin, I'm going to go back to you or Patrick, whichever, but it, this seemed to be told in the book from your perspective, Justin, it was your idea to do the Camino de Santiago, correct? The Camino. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I can just call it the Camino instead of saying the whole thing. So, yeah, go, yeah. okay. So, so tell us about when this happened and how you got Patrick in, you guys can share that story, either one of you or both. I don't care. Oh, I suckered Patrick into doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I learned about the pilgrimage through, I mean, this is, so, you know, it's kind of, this is around 2012, um, found myself in a non like nondescript Saturday morning. I had no idea that this day was going to change the course of my life, um, or impact my family or Patrick as well. Um, and his family, but I just kind of found myself watching TV. I was watching public access television, just land, landed on, um, Rick Steves and he's a, Rick Steves Europe. He's a kind of a travel guru on PBS. And, you know, I love traveling and love seeing the world. And, and in this episode was on, um, Northern Spain, Pamplona running of the bulls and this pilgrimage called the Camino de Santiago, which is this famous, or in the United States, we don't really have pilgrimages. <laughs> <laughs> is that a word? Probably not. But pilgrimages. anyway, um, I don't you know, know, it's not really common here in the United States, but in Europe, they, they're more common. Um, and I was like, oh, this is interesting, just kind of seeing what it was. And it just, as I was watching the episode, I just, something inside of me just clicked. I mean, it was, the best way I can describe it is my heart, my soul, and my mind were just aligned. And I just knew that I needed to do it. I didn't have any other reasoning than I just knew. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know why. I just, just had that gut feeling. And so, you know, I called my wife into the room and I said, Hey, what do you think about this? And she's like, if you want to go do it, go do it. And, um, and I always kind of joke that maybe she was looking for an excuse to kick me out of the house for a month, but, um, but you know, she was really cool about it. And about a couple of weeks later, so I'd recorded the episode on my DVR a couple of weeks later, Patrick was down visiting me in San Diego. That's where I was living at the time. Uh -huh. And, um, came down for spring break with his family and I recorded it and I said, Hey man, I want you to watch something. And he's like, all right. So he kind of sat down in my living room and played the episode. And we watched it in almost complete silence. And I said, after we're done, I said, hey, man, um, you want to go across 500 miles of northern Spain with me? And his response was, I'll push you. That's what he said. And that's the title of the book and all that. But he just, you know, he just jumped in and said, yeah, man, let's let's figure this out. And and I and we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into, uh, but that's how it all kind of began and started planning and took us about two years of planning. And I had some other well, things. Come up. Well, a year, a year planning, but we postponed even starting. Postponed, for a yeah. year. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. 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 So then we started the journey. That's how we did it. So Patrick, what were you thinking when he pitched this to you? What was your initial thought? Well, you know, it, we, we've been thinking, you know, gosh, we, we traveled so much, the four of us, you know, Justin, his wife, Kirsten, my wife, Donna and I, 
but we wanted something just the two of us. And so I had this kind of in my head that, man, we just need a guy's trip. And we had all kinds of things that we talked about doing. Uh, but that was kind of the foundation um, of, of kind of my thinking is that I just looking for something to do together. And when he threw it out there, I could tell he was excited about it. I had never thought about going on the Camino. I honestly hadn't even th- had heard about it until, you know, until this point. But it's, it's just a, a moment where there's no other response to be had. Yeah. In my mind, no other response was appropriate other than I'll push you. Because I knew he couldn't do it alone. He was inviting me into that journey. Why in the world would I not just run into it headlong and make it happen? Hey, we're going to take a short break and hear from our sponsors, and we're going to come right back. The Men in the Arena is a nonprofit organization with a mission to help men become their best version and change their world. The war to change your world is epic. Every battle counts, and every man in the arena matters. Our closed Facebook forum for men, appropriately called Men in the Arena, is a great way for you to dialogue about manhood with men from around the world. There we have lively discussions on every topic of manhood imaginable. Join that group today. Hey, because of my passion to see men get out of the bleachers into the arena, I want to offer a free resource to all men who visit our website at meninthearena.org. Simply give us your email. We'll send you a PDF copy of the field guide. This is my 365-day bathroom book for men. It's a study of manly words in the Bible illustrated with great stories. This is a great resource for all of our arena men. Guys, you're going to love this book. Men, the stakes are high. The pressure is on. Do you hear the roars of those you love and those in the anonymous bleachers pleading for you to get in the arena today? Because when you get it, everyone wins. Now, back to our episode. So you just said, Patrick, that he invited you into your journey. And it was really interesting because on page 81 of your book, you guys described your friendship and why it's so strong as, quote, we choose to share life's adventures. And I'll tell you what, guys, this this is an adventure. I don't care who you are. I mean, this is an adventure, just two dudes getting out there and walking or riding. It's 500 miles long, and I th- you average 50, f- 15 miles a day. In my brain, that's 33 days of, I don't know, I know you plan for six weeks, but that's, that's a lot of work. Now, Patrick, at what point, you know, because it got to the end of the book there, and it, it seemed like your body was done. I mean, your body and Justin, your body was done because you're you're using your abs, you're using your back muscles, you're getting pounded by mud and rocks and and hills and all this stuff. And did you guys? And I know you invited Ted into your story, and Ted was a guy who pulled Team Ted. Anyway, he pulled. I think was it ten days, guys, or eleven? Ten days. Ten days. Yeah. yeah. But did you, you through that first that first high pull? You know. But did did you guys realize? how hard this was going to be physically? Oh, no. No, we had no idea. Uh, and But we, we were okay with that. I think if we knew how hard it was going to be, we wouldn't have gone, honestly. Yeah. Uh, if, if I knew what it was going to take, it would have scared the crap out of me. Uh, and, but life's that way, you know. If we knew if we knew what the challenges were going to be, we'd just often avoid them. But it's those challenges, it's that adversity that actually makes us strong and where we could come out on the side a better person. And, uh, and, but no, we had no clue. And I, I, I trained like crazy for this thing, but there's, there's no amount of training any person could do to, to go through it and not be worn down on the other side. Well, no and honestly, you both trained, right? Because Justin, in, in yeah. the book, you lost a lot of weight, didn't you? To make it easier for Patrick. Well, I tried to do my best, but I could have lost more. <laughs> you lost some weight. Every pound counted. Because you had, between you and the chair, it was 250 pounds. Am I right on that? 
Yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. still a lot of weight. And then Patrick, you were sharing the stories of pushing and pulling up the hill. So, 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 so you, so you guys have gone through the training. You've done, you've done it all. And it sounds from the book that your first couple of days were the toughest climbing days of the whole journey. Is that true? The first day, definitely. The, can yeah. you describe yeah. that day? Can you describe it? Well, yeah, the very first day. We, so we, we start in a little town called Saint Jean Pied de Port, in the southwestern corner of France, on the eastern side of the Pyrenees mountain range. And we had to go over the Pyrenees in one day, seventeen miles. We had about um, just shy of four thousand feet of elevation gain. Whoa! Uh, whoa. And uh, over the course of the first thirteen miles, and man, it was it was, it was rough. Just so hard. Just, it was the only time that, and I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty fit guy. I am always been active kind of an adventure seeker backpacking hiking rock climbing that kind of thing jumping off cliffs it's just been kind of my blood uh and so i've had a lot of moments where i push myself physically um as far as i thought i could go this is the only time where i knew i was empty where i, I knew i couldn't keep going yeah there's no way i can keep going and somewhere somehow you would get a third or fourth wind not second wind third or fourth <laughs> wow and I, I think that, you know, Ted and I probably pushed ourselves physically to that, that 90% that, you know, very few people actually do in their lives. And I don't want to do it again. <laughs> that well, was hard. And our readers, don't, our listeners don't, I don't think these guys really fully understand what we're talking about here. So I just went chucker hunt with a buddy the other day yeah. in Eastern Oregon and we did 11 miles uh, and it was hard. It was hunting and I would have called it 2000 feet of climbing. And that was a lot of climbing. That's a lot of climbing yeah. in a day. And so when you say 4,000, I don't think our guys fully grasp sure. what that looks like. Plus you're, plus you're pushing and pulling. Plus you had a, a huge section of mud. Am I correct? Yeah. So, so one, I mean, yeah, it's 4,000 feet, which in itself is a lot of climbing, but it's over trail. It's rocks, it's boulders, it's, you know, riveted and, you know, divoted, like just nasty trail. So not ideal for a wheelchair by any means. The wheelchair with Justin in it weighs 250 pounds. So it is so much weight that you're getting up the hill. And those first 13 miles, you know, to get up, I mean, every single one of them has, has a challenge of some sort. Because not only is it steep and rugged terrain, we hit things like mud. Or we hit spots where, uh, you know, the trail has been kind of washed out from the previous day's rain. And so it's a little slick. Um, so certain sections where streams are crossing the trails, so the rocks are wet. Uh, and so it's slick and it's just, it's just crazy, but we get to one spot on the trail where it's so steep, 30% grade. So anybody who's a cyclist or hiker or whatever out there, 30% is gnarly. That is three, 30, 30 vertical feet, every, every hundred, what is it? It's what's the ratio 30 vertical feet, every hundred feet or every mile. Uh, I believe that's right. I I think that's right. We have hundred feet. Holy so cow. it's so steep that we can't get Justin. There's no, that. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way. There's no way. So we have to take Justin out of the chair and carry him up in a sling. And it, we, I mean, we travel a hundred yards or so. And it takes us an hour and a half to go hundred yards because it's so steep and just, you know, just tough uh, terrain on foot that we're only able to go, you know, 10, 15 feet and stop and rest and then make sure we're mapping the best route because this is the kind of thing where there's no room for air. Yeah. One drop of Justin, the trip is over. Yeah. A broken hip, you hit his head on the rock, you break your shoulder, and you're carrying someone when they're two feet off the ground, and you stumble, and they hit a rock from you know, when they're laying prone like that, done deal, done deal. So we had to be so painstakingly careful. And after we got through that, we turned around, and there's another 100 yards of mud from the previous day's rain. And we actually hit three sections of mud 
that we just had to muscle our way through because there was no way to go around it. It was mountain on one side, cliff on the other. So you said prone. So you were laying face down? So not prone. I'm sorry, supine. Sorry. Oh, okay, I okay. I just was getting a word because I thought supine from the book. When you said prone, yeah. I had a whole other word picture. No, sorry. Don't supine. he dropped him on his face. Okay. No, I, no, so, no, no. so Justin. On his back. <laughs> Justin, what's going on? I mean, you've shared a lot of your thoughts throughout the book, and I really appreciate uh, all the perspectives, but why don't you share with our readers what's going on in your brain uh, on this day one? Um to be honest with you, it's most, mostly just, okay, we got to get through this section. Yeah. Okay. We got to get through this section. Okay. We got to get through this section. I wasn't looking at the entire day as a whole. I was looking at it. Oh, we got to get through 10 yards. We got to get through the next hundred yards. And I've don't think I've ever been in a situation. I've worked on a lot of different types of teams and other things like that in my work life. But this is the, probably the first time in my life where Patrick, Ted and I, we were one mind, one goal, one, you know, one objective to work through it together. And we had each had different roles to play. Um, I was, I was the navigator. I was the scout. I was the, um, the, the kind of the, the looking down the trail to say what's coming ahead because, you know, even Patrick's behind or Ted's out front or vice versa, you know, sometimes they're just pushing, they're looking straight at the ground because they're just trying to get me up a section. So I would, I would call out hard left, hard right, dead center, hard right, middle right, to just try to find the least path of resistance. Um, and so we, we'd worked together. And so you're just, we were just focused. I wasn't like I was just kind of off in la la land, just going, hey man, come on guys, put your back into it a little bit better, you know? I, no, it was like, okay how do we do, how do we navigate this there? How can I communicate the best that I can to be a part of this, to make their job the easiest as possible. And so we were one mind, one collective unit going together. And that was pretty much like how it was every day. Um, but more, more so day one for us. Um, yeah. It was more necessary on the day one than any other yeah. day. Yeah, yeah, that that's would be amazing. a shock and awe experience when that's your first day is a day like that. Mm-hmm. Well, and Patrick or Justin, you also in your book, I gathered that you were kind of a coach. You're encouraging. You're kind of coaching oh, along. Yeah. You're so and I and I and it was really interesting because I expected the book to be about these guys getting this one guy from point A to point B, but when I was reading the book, I took it away as the same thing. Here, it's like this team of guys moving in sync to get to a common end. And it really, the book really didn't become, it, I thought it'd be more about Justin and it really wasn't Justin. It was more about friendship and purpose. And you were kind of, you, you were removed from the story, so to speak. And you were re- put back in with this team. It was a team. It was really, it really, yeah. I love the book and how it flowed that way. So uh, um, here I have a weird question. It's a little bit off the cuff and it's, it's the only thing in the book I didn't understand and I think it would be a, a worth explaining right now. Patrick, you talked about on page 102, your grandpa teaching you, like a lot of our grandpas taught us, measure once and cut twice, measure twice, cut once, mm-hmm. measure twice, cut once. And then you said something in the book that I thought was really significant, but I, I, I needed more explanation. So I want you to explain okay. this in the context of, of, the, of your book. So you said that this measure twice, cut once applies to construction and people 
So talk to me. What does what did that part mean? How does that apply to people? And I know it does. I just want you to, yeah, yeah, you know, you know bring it out a little more. Sure. You know, amazing twice cut once that kind of mentality and the scope or the concept or not concept in the uh, confines of a relationship, a marriage, parenting, uh, let's say uh, um, a friendship. You know, we the the cut the cut with a board you can't take back. Yes. Once you've made a cut, it is definite, it's permanent. You got to start over with new, new material. And relationships uh, are, are difficult to start over with if you make the cut at the wrong point in time. If you're too reactionary, if you don't listen to understand versus listening oh. to respond, if you don't take the time to truly see someone's other, someone else's perspective. It's like the shared adventure. Justin and I have totally different perspectives on a lot of this, this journey. Just because we have different minds, hearts, and souls, and life experiences that yeah. play into how we process things. Our kids are no different. Our wives are no different. And so if we measure twice, if you slow down, get a perspective of everything, make sure all the T's are crossed and I's are dotted before we react, life is much better. Oh, that's See, I, I was hoping you were going to say something like that. That's really good, man. And so in relationships, we don't want to be reactionary. Right. We want to settle in and look at the big picture before mm -hmm. we judge or before we respond. And yeah, that might have saved my marriage a few fights over the years. So It, it would have saved mine a few <laughs> fights too because I'm a slow learner. <laughs> so hey, speaking of fighting with your spouse, so tell me about the – tell me – so you've – I don't want to go throughout the grueling details of the book. It's really worth it, and I love the map that you draw. And I mean, I felt each chapter, I'm going, come on, guys, you're behind schedule. You know, I'm kind of kind of <laughs> mentally coaching you along, you know, this journey. So, but then I, the, 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 the end of the journey, man, you're, you're, you spent how many days on the, on the, on the Camino? Total? 35. 30, yeah, okay. My math was saying yeah. 33. I know you took a day off here or there. So 35 days. So now you're, you've been away from your families and you know that at the end of the road are your brides. So walk me through that. That last day sounded epic. So walk us through that, that finish. Can I, uh, can I take you back a few days to give you perspective on how much that day meant to me? Yes. Okay. So um, I talk about this a little bit in the book, but I don't go into as much detail, mostly because it's, it's just so hard. Um, yeah. But I, you know, I was in a, in a job, and I think a lot of your, your listeners will you know, equate or relate to this because us guys tend to be slow learners and, uh, and bullheaded in a lot of ways. I'm a, I'm a very type A person, and I was in a job that was just consuming me, completely consuming me, not to mention that uh, you know past addictions and behaviors had kind of snuck up on me in the previous four years or so before this journey. So during that time, I'm at this job. I've become very dismissive and, and, and removed from my family to the point where when I'm at work, I'm at work. When I'm at home, I'm at work. I'm answering phone calls at the dinner table. I'm you know, late-night meetings. Every, I mean, I'm working 80 hours a week, and I'm giving my family massive – amounts of, you know, just a ton of reasons to doubt my love for them. Yeah. And I hadn't really understood what that was like. I hadn't understood the, the effect I was having on my family until we're in a stretch of, of, of trail. We're on this section where there's nobody helping us this day. Justin and I are just listening to music. And this stretch is called the Maseta. And it's, it's, if anybody ever does Camino, do not skip this section. It is the most important section you can possibly experience because nothing changes it's the same landscape mile after mile after mile and so you're forced inward and that is a hard oh. thing but it is it is critical to any type of, of self-actualization 
in our faith. Like I mean, we, we want God to use us the way we want him to use us. We got to come face to face with our crap. Yeah. And a lot of times we don't realize how much of it we have because we're distracted. On the Maseta, there's no distractions. So I'm pushing Justin and I get a moment where every single episode over the past four or five years where I had failed my wife and my kids, every single one, where I'm dismissing them, I am cutting in my comments, I am reactionary, I'm not measuring twice and cutting once, I'm just hitting them over the head with what I think they should do, I'm dismissing to my wife, I, I, I mean, over and over and over, million tiny TV screens behind my eyes, I see them all at once, and I completely lose it, I completely lose it, mm. I am just a broken individual because I've come face to face with who I am, and it is not aligned with who I want to be. Oh, whoa. So when we get to the next town, we rush to the next town. I tell Justin this. He's like, yeah, you, you got to call your wife. So I place a Skype call to my wife. And uh, my wife and kids answer the phone. It's, it's morning there. And so they're getting up out of bed. And uh, kids with the pajamas. And they're like, hi, dad. So excited to see me. I apologize to them. And they're young at the time. So they're like, we love you, daddy, whatever, you know. And they're, they're so forgiving. <laughs> but then I, it's just my wife and I. And I say to her, Honey, I, I, know, um, I, I know you want to talk, but I just need you to listen for a few minutes. Uh, I said, I know I've broken your heart a lot. I, you know, I've broken your heart, and there's been many times I've broken your heart. Um, and I just want to say I'm sorry. And she said to me, if you never broke my heart, how would I learn to love you more? Mm. So... He juxtaposed that like revelation, like, oh my gosh, this woman is the closest thing I'm ever going to experience to the love of God because she has loved me in spite of my porn addiction and my failures to my kids and my cutting comments and my pursuit of things that don't matter. She's loved me through all of that. That kind of love to love someone in spite of who they are is the closest thing that we can get to God's love for us because he loves all our crap. Not he doesn't love it, but he loves us in spite of it. Yes. So I have this new perspective for my wife and now we're coming into Santiago. And I'm going to see her for the first time in flesh with that moment being played over in my mind every single day. I, I couldn't get to her fast enough. That's really cool. I, I can't find the quote in your book. I, I highlighted it because I thought that was so, so powerful. And I really do appreciate that. So, so you know they're coming. You've had this. Ex- and that happened at the, uh, the Iron Cross, right? Was that, was that, that in that area? That actually happened before the Iron Cross. Yeah. Okay, I'm just trying to, it's all kind of, you know, blending Leading together. Leading up maybe. to that, that's kind of where that whole evolution started, was in the Masada. Okay, okay. And, and that conversation with Justin, talking it through. So Justin, how yeah. about you, man? You've had dozens and dozens of people jump on board and push or pull, and now you're coming in, you're at the finish line. What's going on with you? Well, there's a lot of things kind of racing through your mind at the time. I mean, um, you know, I kind of echo... Patrick, in, in certain ways, I mean, he's dealing with what he was dealing with or and was kind of processing through that. But for me, you know, there's the, the pilgrimage is it's a very simple way of living. You know, mm-hmm. you, you get up, you eat, you walk, you eat again, and then you go to bed. You know, I mean, that's that's it. There's no meetings you're going to. You're not being distracted by, you know, people coming up and, you know, having to just the busyness of life and all that kind of craziness. And mm-hmm. so it's a very, very stripped down way of living. It's not sustainable as we say, but it's, um, it's you, it, once you kind of remove all that, your distractions, your mind becomes clear. Uh, you focus more on, on, t- on the people around you and the conversations you're having and 
it's, it's truly is a remarkable um, thing to go through. And I highly recommend anybody that's listening to this, if they're getting that urge to go do it. Um, but as you're coming into the square and you're filled with so many emotions, I mean, I, I have so much respect for our military um, people that every day of their life, they're not only sacrificing for our country and our freedom, and I'm not going to come, I'm not comparing this by any means, but you know, when you have somebody who's deployed and they're gone for like six months, a year, a mm-hmm. couple years, um, I was gone for my wife for 35 days, 40 days. And it's like, that was an eternity. And I can't even fathom, um, being away for much longer than that. And so just to see her face again and to be, to have her embrace and her arms wrapped around me, I got a very, very small glimpse of what it's like um, for our served individuals. So I'm kind of like thinking about that. I'm thinking about um, wanting to see my kids again, um, wanting to, you know, just not pat myself on the back. Cause that sounds very kind of like proud, but it's more of just my thought that was coming through my head was oh my gosh we set out on this crazy 500 mile journey that many people told us was impossible that said we're stupid that could never be done um and all this kind of negativity around it and here i am in the square with my best friend still behind the helm and you know we're very road weary and tired but we made it And that's when I kind of go back to the very, very beginning of that risk, you know, that when you take that risk in life, it opens up doors and opportunities for you that you never thought you could do. You have to take that first step. Another way of saying it's faith. You got to take a step of faith. And, and when you do that and you kind of, not kind of, when you let God work within that and take control of that, it truly is amazing where it will take you. Because I never thought I would go over 500 miles of the most incredibly difficult train I've ever gone through in a wheelchair, by the way. way. And over mountain ranges, went over three different mountain ranges, went through crazy stuff. And there I am in the square just kind of taking it all in and it's like a massive wave of emotion that hits you and I'll never forget it. I never will. Wow. Well, what's, what is, what is the biggest or the most significant takeaway that each of you had from this event? For me, you know, as Patrick's kind of thinking my, the biggest takeaway for me is that I, my reassurance in humanity was restored. Oh, my yeah. faith in humanity was restored. You know, it is unfortunate um, that we hear on a day-to-day basis how the world is going to hell in a handbasket um, and how there's so much bad things and so many people, you know, the, there's the political climate. There's just, I mean, you start going down the list. It's a litany of, it's unending mm-hmm. that you've, and, and, you and, kind of going into the pilgrimage, you, you just get jaded by that every single day. You hear it day in, day out, day in, day out. And 
to be completely removed from it and go through this experience that we went through and have so many people step in and help us. Uh, I think we lost count 150 plus people step in. Wow. Easy, easy. Um, We counted around 27 different countries of people from around the globe and walking alongside those people or meeting those people from all walks of life, um, different religious backgrounds, sexual orientation, social economic backgrounds. I mean, you name it, everybody from every walk of life that we met. And what I've, my biggest thing is that, that we're all inherently good. There's a lot of good people doing good things in this world. A lot of hardworking people trying to make a difference, not only in their families and their communities, but also on a global scale. And that we shouldn't forget that. Mm. And it's unfortunate it gets overshadowed by the the bad apples yeah. in the bunch. Yeah. But you know, like that's that was my biggest takeaway because we we were we kind of describe ourselves going into this as we were just being thrown into the blender and just seeing how we came out on the other side. We had no idea. We didn't know if people were going to help us. We had no idea how many. Yeah. We there was no clue. And to have so many people just step in and say, "Yeah, I want to be part of that. I want to help you get up this hill. I want to help you for the next couple of days. I want to help you for the next couple of weeks. And, um, and I'll tell you what it, my faith was restored. Wow. That's powerful stuff, man. How about you, Patrick? You know, it's uh, somewhat similar, I guess, in, in, in its start uh, to what Justin was saying, you know, that the, the Camino is not a respecter of persons in that it doesn't matter. Like Justin said, what's your, your background is, you know, faith, sexual orientation, your political, your, your career doesn't matter. Once you get on the Camino, everyone is the same. And not everybody winds up on the Camino for the same reasons, but I have yet to meet someone who didn't come face to face with who they are in some way, shape or form Mm -hmm. and come out on the other side, a better person. And what I think is, is one of the the biggest elements there, the the, the biggest vehicles for, for change is that it's one of the few places I've been where, it doesn't matter if you're conservative or liberal, you're Christian or not, none of that, none of that matters in those moments. What matters is that people are stepping in and offering help, grace and mercy day in and day out, regardless of where they're coming from. And we experience the love of so many people that given the, the, the wrong situation, if you will, the this everyday situations, they can be dismissed because I don't agree with how they live their life. I don't agree with their, their politics, I don't, whatever it is. And there's so many lines that divide us right now. Yeah. There's so many, and they're getting deep and they're getting wide. And we spend so much energy digging those lines deeper and wider yeah. when we're all on the journey together. It doesn't matter if someone's a Christian or not. They're on the same journey of life. And the destination they're trying to find is the same. They just don't necessarily know what it is. And to see people be filled with so much love for us and others, maybe take stock that, okay, no matter who I meet, every person has a remarkable capacity to do good in this world. They can affect change through who they choose to be. And if I don't accept that love and grace, regardless of where it's coming from, I am part of the problem as opposed to part of the solution. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, the the gaps, especially in our country, are getting deeper. And I actually went down to the county clerk two weeks ago and said, I am no longer affiliated with a political party because I just saw that as a huge divisive element. Mm-hmm. 
And I just yeah. don't want to be a part of that discussion or narrative anymore. Yeah. And so that's me personally. Same I want here. to be able to bridge the gap between all people because that gap is getting deep and wide. So I'm hearing you guys say that the Camino is a metaphor for life. It's yeah, a absolutely. journey to a destination, but really it's more of a journey than a destination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, hey, we're, we're running out of time, guys. But I, gosh, I, I saved this question to the end because it's just driving me absolutely crazy. <laughs> and, and here's Uh-oh. the question. Well, you know, you, you write on page 241, Patrick. Now I'm finding Justin is pushing me, right? So you have this mm-hmm. kind of this, this huge epiphany about risk versus safety, about your career versus your dreams. And, and you know, you guys end the journey. The book is over. But I'm thinking to myself, what the heck happened? So I'm going, did you quit the job at the hospital? What are you guys doing? I know you're doing something I together. I know you're doing something together. That was together. cruel. Tell me. That no, no, cruel. no, 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 no. It was strategic. It was strategic. <laughs> so what, what yeah. is going on in the life of Pat and Justin in 2018? Okay. So, yeah. What I'll tell you is that we, uh, we got back from, uh, from Spain on July 12th, 2014. I went back to my job on July 14th. Both our birthdays. Both our birthdays, 12 and 14. Oh, wait, uh, wait, hold on a second. Wait, 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 wait. So, what, wait, what days? I know you're 36 hours apart, but what day are you born? What what day are you guys born? 12 on the 14th. That's on the 14th. I was born late on the 12th. 12th Okay, so, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. So, uh, my boss set a bunch of time aside on my calendar to uh, to talk to me about uh, who knows what. I was kind of scared. I thought, I have hell's ketchup to do because I'm working with all these crazy positions that have all these demands. But it turns out that all he wanted was uh, to, to hear about the journey. So I got four hours of time with him just to, just to download the previous six weeks. But he asked me, what's one lesson you learned while you were gone? And I'm like, I don't know if I can give you one lesson, but here's, here's a lesson that's just for you. You get 40 hours of my week and not a minute more. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and he's the one that wanted you to video the journey, right? Yeah. He's the yeah. one. He's yeah. the one. He told me in that same meeting, he said, I knew – that before you uh, before you left for the Camino, that you wouldn't come back for good. How long do I have you for? And I said, I don't know. Wow. In October, I put my notice in, and I left that job in January of 2015, and Justin and I have been working together ever since. We travel and speak to country, you know, people all over, uh, messages of faith, resiliency, leadership, vulnerability, accountability, whatever uh, um, the – the, the situation um, calls for and tie it back to the journey that we've we've been blessed with. We write books, we uh, coach people, and this is all we do. And it's been a crazy, wild, scary, fun journey ever since. The faith journey continues. Yeah. No more safe zone. No more no. safe zone. Oh. Not in the safe zone. Not in the safe yeah. zone. You're in the life zone. Yeah. When I gave up that safety, I didn't realize how much I was actually giving up. But turns out, as Justin said, you know, it's that risk. You got to take that risk. Yeah, we did yeah. something similar in 2012. And my wife said something similar to what your wife said. She said, I've trusted you for 20 years. You've never let me down. I'll keep trusting you. And that unlocked our marriage. It unleashed mm-hmm. uh, a life, you know, together. And uh, no, I'm, I'm really excited for you guys and what you're doing. Your wives are just epic and magnum. And tell them I said so. And uh, man, thanks so much for coming on our podcast, guys. I really do appreciate it. Really do appreciate it. So hey, yeah. so so here's the deal, man. Here's another problem I've got. I want to watch the movie. Yeah. How I okay? I can get the book on Amazon, right? Can I get the book on yep. Amazon? So that's an easy. On that's easy. That's easy. So how do I get? How do I go watch this movie? Our guys are going. Hey, I want to yeah. see these guys. What do these guys look like? You know, I want to. I want to. I want to. I want to. I've got this mental picture, but how do I see? Where do I see this movie? Where do I go? <laughs> you just go to. Uh, it's really simple. I'll push you.com. Oh. I l l p 
P-U-S-H-Y-O-U.com. And um, that has kind of like the film and all that. And in the main navigation, there's kind of an, a, a speaking tab or about tab. And that kind of takes you to our uh, other website, kind of our our corporate website where we have all of our additional stuff like our children's book, our small group training that we have, our small group curriculum that we have. We have a school program that we have. Um, we like next year, we just wrapped up this, got the group formalized. We're taking our first group of people with limited mobility on the Camino next year. Um, doing that next fall, we have 12, I'm 13. So 13. about yeah. eight, 52 people total 56. Um, 56 well with pat and i and videographer and everybody um mm. so we got a whole slew of people helping make the pilgrimage a reality for people other people like me that never thought they could do it and not doing the full 500 it's the last 100 kilometers so it's about six days um wow. and so we got that going on we got a lot going on social media i'll push you just just yep, google that yeah. So I'm just laughing because you guys grew up in the 90s. Are you sure it isn't ill, push you? <laughs> ill. I'd be ill. Don't you just be Ill-in. one L? Oh, oh, yeah, that's true. That Illin. Don't be illin. Anyway, but you know, I've got a guy I had on the podcast a, a week ago, Brian Trent. He was 500 pounds. Because of his weight, he went blind. So he is blind. And Sean Strong, who you guys grew up with, walks with him every week. And he's running now. And he's lost... 300 pounds he weighs 205 pounds and i bet you they might be interested in doing that camino with you guys yeah uh, that would yeah, be well, great hey man thank you hey guys thanks yeah. so much for coming on the podcast sharing your wisdom and your insight and just this epic experience to our men in the arena and being men yourself so guys you've been listening to the man card podcast changing your world is the toughest thing you'll ever do but guys we just really want to help you in your journey on this camino of life here are some things that we can do to help you guys guys enlist in our uh, arena in our army by downloading the free app that we have and uh it's free check out our website with all of our resources if you haven't done so subscribe to this podcast please share it with your friends that really help us out and write a positive review and also join the men in the arena closed facebook forum for men guys this is a phenomenal conversation with other men about what a man is and does you've got thousands of men from around the world praying together interacting joking we've got a fun thing going on right now about skinny jeans so if you are curious you might want to check that out anyway guys thanks so much join us in building an army of men in the arena who are becoming the best for themselves and changing their world because when a man gets it everyone wins until next time feel the wet sand on the arena floor hear the deafening roar of the crowd taste the sweetness of victory smell the stench of battle get in the game get dirty grind it out and be a man this is Dale Culver, and you've been listening to the Man Card Podcast. Has your man card been challenged today? If you hunger to be the best version of you, then join the thousands of men around the country on our closed Facebook forum called the Men in the Arena. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of manhood. Also, make sure you ask about our newest equipping opportunity called the Man Card Weekend with the Men in the Arena. Let us inspire the men of your organization to become the best version of themselves today. And don't forget to purchase a copy of Jim's new book, The Man Card, Five Characteristics Separating Men from Boys. This is the best book out there that defines what a man is and does. In it, Jim combines his master storytelling abilities with his no-holds-barred style distinguishing between men and boys. 
you want to keep your man card, then pick up a copy of this life-changing book today. Simply go to the Great Hunt for God app or mancardpodcast.com and pick up a copy today. Thank you for listening to this episode, The Man Card Podcast. This is Dale Culver signing off. Until next time, join our army and become the best version of you. Get in the arena. Let the world feel the full weight of who you are. Grind it out. Be a man. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for around the world and find out the type of dad you are.